Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of Leading from Alignment with our good friend, John Opaluski, and once again, our good friend, Carl Vaders. John, how are you today? Jim, um, I'm doing good. I'm really excited to have Carl back with us uh, in, in episode 189. Uh, but we have a great discussion. If you haven't uh, had a chance to look up 189, we ask you to consider doing that. Carol yeah. just shared some amazing things with us. We were talking about uh, Carl's new initiative, and he shared a little bit about that with us. And then we got into some trends that Carl was seeing. But I wonder if you would just kind of recap a little bit of you know some of the positive trends that you're seeing as you travel and maybe a challenging trend that yeah. you're seeing as well yeah among the positives is the body of christ is alive and well um mm -hmm. it's really easy for us in america to see the problems and they are real and they are significant and they will continue we're we're on a downward slide spiritually i don't think any there's any doubt in that but in the middle of that there are seeds being planted that i think are really going to be uh, very very good out of you know, Jesus loves uh, causing resurrections uh, out of death, and um, and it's always seeds planted all the way along through that. And I, that's what the closer you get to the um, average church, the typical person in the pew, the small church pastor, the small town, especially, uh, and you know, wonderful little pockets, even in godless big cities like where I live, um, you there there are great things happening in the body of Christ. Uh, we're seeing ch uh, pastors remaining faithful through very difficult seasons. Uh, the big grand uh, resignation wave that I thought was coming among pastors yeah. has not occurred and does not look like it's going to occur, uh, which leads to one of the first challenges, which is they're not leaving, but they're exhausted. Some of them are, the, the term that's used in the, in the public is quiet quitting, uh, which yeah. apparently is like you show up for work, but you really don't work while you're there. And pastors aren't doing that intentionally. They're just there in body, right. but really not often there emotionally and spiritually. And it's not because they're quiet quitting intentionally. It's because they're just tired. And so uh, being able to help pastors get a break uh, and get some encouragement and take some Sabbath and um, re renew their spirits again is one of the biggest challenges for the American church, especially right now. Yeah. Jim, set us up for 190 here uh, as we yeah. get ready. Maybe you didn't hear 189. We, we probably a year ago met Carl on a podcast, enjoyed it so much. We said, Hey, would you come out and do something for small churches? Well, then our network said, Hey, what if we partner with that? And, and, and it blew up. There were hundreds of people at a conference on the specific strengths and challenges of, of a smaller congregation, a smaller town, et cetera. And, and Carl just killed it. And it was, I remember how many times you know, there'd be a, a, some teaching and then be a break and the foyer way, some would go that I'm not a failure. There was such, there's almost this relief that, so this is a specialty ministry. So I am a missionary to my community. So I didn't miss God's call. So I, I just, these, these beautiful moments of revelation that came out of what you said. And so I thought it'd be fun to come back today and, and take what, you know, John kind of said, I think these are the, the ones I've heard the most comments on, or that were the punchiest or maybe you could you could uh, elaborate on. So we've got a series of of things here, and John's going to take us through the first one. These are statements you made in October uh, for the the Michigan Network of the Assemblies of God, and now we're gonna we're gonna ask you to be uh, plagiarize your your entire body of work yet again uh, by uh, <laughs> by quoting yourself as we quote you. So take it away, John. 
Yeah, Carl, one of the uh, one of the ones that really kind of hit me right between the eyes was this statement, small is not a problem, a virtue, or an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've never heard anybody put it that well before. And I thought, man, that is just an amazing statement. Can can you unpack those ideas in that statement for us a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah. I, first of all, small is not a problem. Uh, but for a lot of years, I really thought it was. I, it, you know, everything I read, everything I heard, every conference I went to kept telling me, you know, here's how to break growth, growth barriers. If you remove the obstacles to growth, your church will grow. Healthy I, things I grow. Them, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, exactly. Grow, yeah. Constantly. Yeah. I, I now call it the myth of inevitable growth. It is a myth that growth, that numerical growth is inevitable if you simply remove the um the obstacles uh yeah. should, should you remove the obstacles yeah if there are obstacles in the way get rid of the obstacles but getting rid of obstacles is kind of like um when we teach our little children to say please and thank you right when you first teach a child to say please at some point or another pretty much every kid is going to go please and then be shocked when they don't get what they said please for because yeah. <laughs> they think please is a promise of opening up whatever I want. No, the, the idea is without the please, you get nothing. With the please, there might be something that happens. <laughs> and that's the same thing with removing obstacles to growth. If you remove obs if you don't remove obstacles to growth, you will not grow, you will not get better, you will not get become a stronger church. But removing those obstacles does not guarantee numerical increase. Right. So we've got to recognize that it's not inevitable. So, but, but so here I was for years trying to do that. And then I had to realize, okay, small is not necessarily a problem to fix. It may actually be part of a strategy that God is using. There, there have been and are and always have been way, way, way more small churches than big churches. And in the places where Christianity is growing as a percentage of the population, it is um, it is inevitably because of the presence of healthy small churches far more likely than the presence of large churches. So again, big isn't bad, but they, big is seldom the en engine to actual church growth. If, if by defining church growth, we're, we're saying that it's increasing the percentage of Christians in a population. Right. It is almost always <laughs> the healthy small churches. So small is not a problem that needs to be fixed. Let's get on the plan that it's part of a strategy that God wants to use. And that shift of mindset right there is a, 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 whole, a whole change of ministry paradigm for a whole lot of people. When it's not a problem, yeah. but it's a strategy, it changes the way we approach it. So secondly, it's not a problem. First of all, it's not a problem. Secondly, it's not a virtue. Small is not better than big. The idea that somehow my church is small because I'm the only one who's staying true to the Lord here is 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 both prideful and stupid. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's not it's not the reality. There are big churches out there that are doing great, godly, God ordained work who love Jesus and who are reaching their communities for Jesus. And so, small is not better than big. There's nothing nothing virtuous about being small. We've got to get past that. Both of those sides are healthy. Small is bad, or small is better. Both of those are problematic. So we've got to stay away from those. Yeah. And then finally, small is not an excuse. Um, you know, there's so it's so often easy to look around and go, well, you know, I wish we could do that, but we'll do that when we get bigger. Or oh, we can't do that because we don't have enough people. Or we can't do that because we don't have enough money. And, you know, and then you read through the New Testament. And if you read through the New Testament, as I have done a couple of times, <laughs> I, I, have, I have yet to read through the New Testament and find a single command in the New Testament that cannot be done with, with the people you have right now and the money you have right now. 
There's no, you're not going to read a command in the New Testament to the church, and you're going to look at it and go, oh, we'd love to do that, but oh, we can't do that yet. We don't have enough people. Or, oh, we can't do that yet. We don't have enough money. There's, yeah. there's no money or people or building restrictions on anything that the church is called to do in the New Testament. So small is not an excuse. Your church is big enough right now to do right now what Jesus is calling your church to do right now. There are no excuses. Such a good word. <laughs> so good. I was talking to somebody from Oklahoma the other day, and he was complaining about uh, an elder or whatever that, that has caused a problem. I said, well, just, just tell him that's stupid. And I'm not, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to do it. I use the word stupid. He started laughing because I, I just love people from California in the Midwest because you just you just say it like it is. And, and we can't say that in Oklahoma. We have to say it very, well, brother. You know, so, you know, that's stupid. It's prideful. I love it. Hey, so another one. Yeah. This is another one that, that a lot of people talked about. When times are normal. Leaders inspire change. When times are disruptive, leaders provide stability. Could, could you unpack that just a little bit more? Yeah. I, I was, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm an old guy, so I've been around for a while. I was born and raised in church, but I've been in active full-time adult pastoral ministry for over 40 years. And for pretty much that entire 40 years, everything that I've been taught and for the last 10 years, pretty much everything that I have taught is about how to help unstick a stuck church and how to bring change to a stubborn church. Because that has been our problem. We've lived for the last 40 years or so in a really relatively stable time. I would say since since World War II. I mean, even with all of the disruptions of the 60s yeah. and 70s and with... Uh, you know, with, with various you know momentary crises that have come along, we've lived in one of the most stable times in human history. We have. It's hard for us to see when we're inside it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I I live in I live in a community right now. I stopped being a police chaplain because it was so boring. <laughs> and every time I'd come home from a police ride along, my wife would go, "We live in a town where the police are bored." Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, now, not yeah. everybody does, obviously, yeah. but we live in an extraordinarily uh, stable time and have. That is gone and going. Um, yeah. COVID didn't cause it, but COVID wrote that out in big, bold letters for us to see things are not normal anymore. So during a time when, when, when times are normal, our job has been to inspire change, help to unstick a stuck church, how to get a get a, a, a stubborn church uncomfortable. Okay, that's that's a and that is a skill set that I've been trained in how to help a stuck church get unstuck. I have not been taught the skill set of how to take a time of disruption and instability and help people walk through it uh, in a stable way to the other side. But that's the skill set we need to learn now. We have had a season of disruption. It is not over. And I'm thinking we've got easily five to 10 years of significant disruption coming. You can't dump trillions of dollars into the economy without it having massive impact. You can't have the kind of disruption of my, my, my grandson, his first year of school in kindergarten was all online. That will change the way he learns yeah. from this point on. Um, we've had massive disruption that we are going to be coming to the most rudimentary understandings of in the last 10 to 20 years, next 10 to 20 yeah. years. It's an unstable time. So now we've got to learn a new skill set as pastors, not how to bring disruption, but how to provide stability through disruption to get to the other side safe. Um, right. And that's, we got to figure it out. We, we got to learn new skills to do that. 
Well, I, I hate to, un- to ask you to unpack what you just unpacked, but that <laughs> it does. But it does beg a question. Could you give us a couple yeah. of tips? Like what from from your broad experience of dealing with a lot of people? What, what do you mean? Like what what are give us some practical ways to bring that steadiness or that consistency or that? What, what do you what do you think of when you say that sentence? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number one, uh, we have to be people of integrity. Uh, we have yes. to follow through with what we say on, from the very simplest things of showing up on time. Yeah. To, um, to, um, <laughs> you said earlier about the word stupid that we're going to say. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a blunt Californian again. Hit me. Okay? To keep, to keep in your zipper up. Yeah. Mm. Um, we, we, from, from this, from the simple to the, the, the profane, yeah, uh, we can look around and we can see all kinds of failures of people. And I have, I have huge sympathy for and have done a, a massive amount of ministry with those who have failed, who have had massive moral failings. And I've come alongside them and alongside their victims and have hugged them and they've cried on my shoulders and we have taken care of people like that. So this is not me, you know, sticking my nose up in the air like I'm better than I am not. Yeah. I yeah. there before the grace of God. Um, but we have to be better at this. We have to be the p- people of integrity and of character and actually live what we say we believe because now one, because it's the right thing to do, but two, right. because now more than ever, it is going to be exposed. Yeah. There used to be some stuff we could hide. There's nothing you're hiding anymore. It is not going to happen. So we've got to be people of character. That is that is our primary yeah. place to start. Yeah, it's funny. E- even the accusation of it, right, can be spread so broadly, so quickly yeah. that we, we can never put ourselves in a position where yes. integrity can be compromised. We accountability, yeah. accountability, accountability. Right on. Yeah. yeah. So so there's so there's that there's there's you know discipleship uh, which we uh, talked about in the previous episode. Yeah. Um. That that that's a place of st- of stability. If if you are discipling people who be who, who become disciple makers themselves, yeah. uh, then they have the spiritual maturity on their own yeah. to be able to know what to do the right thing at the right time and uh, to be able to help each other and to be able to bless each other. Um, discipleship is going to matter far is, is, is as always mattered. But if you want, uh, if you, in a time of disruption, take a look at the New Testament letters uh, and, you know, and Paul's instructions to the churches, especially to churches like Corinth and so on that were, yeah. you know, uh, disruptive people causing even greater disruption and take a look at how he drills down on the importance of uh, discipleship and discipline and integrity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. These are the things that will get us through unstable times. Right. So good. Carl, uh, another thing that you, you said that really stood out to me in that conference was it's easier to teach a servant to lead than to teach a leader to serve. Can you, can you explain that? I love, I love yeah. it, but explain yeah. that to us. Uh, I found that very profound. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I actually, I actually, after I taught this well, several years ago, when I first started putting this into my little talk, I had a pastor come afterwards to me after the session. He said, that's actually happened to me. I said, so walk me through it. He says, first church I ever went to, I got there and I was given like the resume of everybody on the board. And it was this guy started his own company. And this one over here has run, you know, a, a division of a Fortune 500 company. And this one here is the police chief in the town. And I thought this is going to be the best board ever. And it was the worst thing I ever had. It was a bunch of alpha dogs trying to out alpha each other and we couldn't agree on anything and everybody had to be in charge it was horrible we said i left that church i went to this little church and i looked at the board and it was 
you know, the local plumber and a stay-at-home mom and a, right, right. It was just this, and I thought, these people don't know what they're doing. I mean, how are these people leaders in church? Best board I ever had, because they knew how to work as a team and rely on each yeah. other. Right. Because the first one had leaders that they were trying to teach how to serve. And the second one had a bunch of servants that could learn the aspects of leadership. Yeah. And it's really hard. It's it's hard to work that in reverse. Get us. And, and here's the other thing about it. if you get a servant and they don't have leadership gifts, that's still OK. Because yeah. we're called primarily to servanthood in Scripture, not primarily to leadership in Scripture. Yeah. Right. So if, if you all you've got is a servant, you've got a servant and that's good. Yeah. But if all you've got is yeah. a leader and they're not a servant, that's not good. That's bad. Hmm. Yeah. So you can never lose when you start with servanthood, even if it doesn't develop into leadership. We need a whole lot of servants in the churches. How do, how do we spot that? Like, how do you, how do you, is there a way to identify that in an individual where you can pick up that quality of that servant quality uh, fairly yeah. easily? spot yeah watch and see if they're serving if they're serving without being asked they have a servant's heart if they only serve yeah. when they're asked that's very different so oh, I'll, okay. I'll i'll see this um i i, I tell this story years ago there were three teenagers walking into church they were way ahead of me and i watched them walk in and there was a piece of garbage on the ground near the door yeah. and the first one didn't see it walk past it the second one saw it and kicked it aside like he was upset that someone had left it there and the third kid picked it up and dropped it in the garbage and kept going with his friends. So I went up to that third kid after the service and yeah. said, hey, come on, let's have a chat. I thought, what's going on, Pastor? Is it, did I do something wrong? No, no, you didn't. <laughs> I told him what, what I saw him do. I said, I saw you pick up the piece of garbage. He was so naive. He said, was I not supposed to do that, Pastor? I said, no, it's fine. Wow. I said, I think you're a leader in the church. Mm-hmm. He said, what? Because I picked up a piece of garbage? I said, yeah, I think so. So I said, I said, I noticed you also like to help uh, tear down the chairs after church. He goes, yeah, just helping out. I go, next week, uh, how about you have a friend help you? And he went, oh, okay. And the next week, he had three friends helping him. And I went, oh, I got me a leader now, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So even, but if he hadn't, if he just helped out next week, okay, I've found a servant because I saw him serve. Right. Uh, there are too many people that want the title, that want the role of leader and so on. <laughs> I, I've, I've made equal equal mistakes on the other side. I, I had a staff member years ago who kept telling me he wanted to be on staff. He wanted to do this. He wanted to do this. And finally, I thought, well, he just really wants to help. Turned out, no, he just wanted the title. Uh, okay. And he was miserable. He didn't, he didn't do anything anymore. He didn't help out anymore after he had the title than he helped out before he had the title. Um, you you know, that's so you, you find servants by watching what people do, watch people who serve without being asked. That's the key. So it's funny when I came to defend 28 years ago, I was actually the one that threw the trash on the ground about 10 feet outside. (laughs) I did. I threw it once every Sunday, I threw a piece of trash at some time on the ground, whoever picked it up. I, after service, I say, hey, we, we should do coffee. We should hang out. There we, we go. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Who was who? I was coming into a church that had been around for 33 years. Most of them have been there for 20 or more years. I was 29 years old. They've been there since before I was born. So that was the way we found out who was who, was by throwing trash on the ground yep. and seeing who, who picked it up. Because I think a, a person that says, well, it's not my job I didn't, and it's not my fault, that, that's okay. It's not your job, but it's not your fault. But somebody says, it's not my job, it's not my fault, but I'm going to take responsibility for it. There, yeah. There's a partnership there that has such such great value. I, I think you're you're right on. So all of our yeah. pastors, take the garbage. Don't see you do it, but throw it on the ground. <laughs> and create the circumstance. Here's another one for you. Uh, churches that will thrive after the pandemic 
have resources and reserve, team-based leadership, adaptability, and unity. Is that, is that too much to, to throw on you? And that's a long set. Uh, well, no, it's my stuff. It's I'm to blame, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> a lot yeah, of comments when look you at talk, that. man. Yeah, a lot of yeah, comments. Yeah, no, this was stuff that I discovered. <laughs> Again, the Lord has put me in this really interesting, fascinating, and unique position where I'm constantly talking with people all over the country and all around the world, church leaders all over the place. And so as pandemic hit, everybody's emailing, calling me like crazy, like like I knew what to do. I, uh, I haven't been through <laughs> one of these either. <laughs> but in doing that, uh, I don't know that I offered any good advice, but I heard a whole lot of stuff. Then I was able to start spotting trends and ideas and noticing certain things. And I noticed that these four things really were present in churches that didn't just survive, but that thrived. And I believe we'll be prepared for whatever the next yeah. difficulty is. Uh, and churches that didn't have these four things struggled, and some of them collapsed within weeks. And if they don't fix them, they won't be ready for the next event either. So let's walk through them. Um First of all, resources and reserve. This is the this isn't the most important of the four. It's just simply the first one that became obvious when we yeah. went to all of a sudden, you know, here in California on a Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it was, uh, nobody's meeting in church on Sunday. No restaurants are open. No theaters are open. All the bars are closed. All the schools are closed. Right. All the stores. Uh, and all of a sudden, if we had five days and we weren't live streaming our service at the time, we had five days to figure out how to uh, live stream service, buy the equipment for it, uh, yeah. figure out where to put it, figure out how to tell people how to find it. And yeah. um, for the next several weeks, and here in California, we were locked down and out of our sanctuary for almost six months. Um, yeah. So we had a lot of figuring out to do. And even when we were able to start meeting outside, we had to buy shade covers and we had to buy secondary sound equipment for a bunch of stuff. A lot of it we were able to haul outside, but some of it we, we couldn't unplug and haul out. So we had our expenses go up significantly while our income dropped significantly uh, for yeah. those first you know, couple of months, especially until people caught up with online giving. Uh, but we didn't panic because we had put resources in reserve. Uh, years before that, I had decided we need to have three months of budget uh, in cash in reserve for a difficult season. It took us a long, yeah. long time to get there. But by the time we got there and this hit, we were ready to draw on that. It also applies to resources in reserve for ourselves emotionally and in our energy levels. If we are working 70, 80 hours a week, like a lot of pastors are, and then a crisis hits, we got nothing to put into the crisis. And so we need to plan to work far less than that. I tell pastors in general, plan to work 25 hours a week. Now, I'm not saying you're going to work 25 hours a week because no. <laughs> you're going to get 25 to 30 that you didn't plan that's going to hit you. Right. So if you plan for 40 and then get 20 to 30 that you didn't plan for, it, nice. you're wiped out all the time. So but if you, un if you under plan, then you've got reserve for the extra. And then if occasionally you don't get the extra, well, then you get a slow week and then you can fill your reserve tank back up again with that. And, and Carl, can I, can I just interject real quick? Because when I, when we work with pastors on their work, some, some of the work we do is helping pastors actually figure out a work week. Like how do I even attack it? And, yeah. and when we tell them, look, you should, you should probably only have three to four things on your to-do list each day. They like, they look at me like I'm from Mars, but it's for the same reason you just mentioned yep. that yeah. your job has a disruptive nature to it. And, and so you have to plan more than most and you have to be realistic about how much you can get done in any given day or week. And, and so 
the reason I just wanted to push up on that is mm-hmm. because I I feel like most leaders do the opposite of that. They 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 schedule and plan for like you said forty or fifty, and then the yep. inevitable disruption comes, and their work life feels like it's totally out of control. Yep. Um, so I just yeah. think that was an important point. I wanted to I wanted to just yep. reaffirm. Yeah, the, the 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 scheduling. Most of us are not really well disciplined with our scheduling. Um, no. I, I used to um, when I, in recent years, um, I scheduled uh, one day a week in addition to my Sabbath. I scheduled one work day a week with no meetings on it, where I would just work on things proactively, thinking ahead, yeah. writing articles. Oh, yeah sermon prep, whatever it was, but it was my day with no interruptions. I'm going to get that going. And that was hard to do at first. But as I started going along, I started realizing it was actually giving me more uh, ability to do things. And then I added two to that and then three to that. And now uh, other than when I'm traveling, which is quite a bit now, when I am at home, I have one meeting day per week. And today talking with you is my meeting day per week. I jam it from morning till evening. And it's just as full as can be. But then I that but then I've got the other days of the week. But again, when I'm not traveling, which is almost half the time. So this this is another reason why I need my recovery time. On the other days of the week is when I write sermons, when I prep for the next seminar, when I spend my time writing my books, when I read so that I've got something to um, fill me up that I can put into my next book and my next seminar and my next talk. But it's not scheduled by others. It's scheduled by me. So basically, everybody else gets to schedule one of my days per week. And I have the rest of them. But I had to work up to that one by one by one. And now and recognize I'm no longer the lead pastor. I'm talking about doing this this ministry for yeah. pastors this way, as a lead pastor, the most you're going to get to might be two days a week. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But you've got to do, uh, if you don't do one, uh, you're not going to have any of those resources in reserve. So, so good. And I will yeah, say so that's this. One that's, that's, yeah, go the, ahead. The night before that day, you go to sleep differently because tomorrow I get to wake oh, yeah. up and be, you know, Sister Coleslaw and Deacon Bag of Donuts and, and they're all, yeah. they're on all, yeah, I, I, tomorrow I get to be, Kind of what I'd like to be every day. It isn't realistic, but I'd like to be yep. me every day producing. Yep. And yeah, that's, that's where it yep. goes from and, work. And, and a real quick note, again, to remind you, this is not the Sabbath. This is yeah. an addition. Yes. Sabbath is yeah. a day away from work. Yeah. This yeah. is a day of work, but it's unscheduled work. Yeah, It's proactive work. Yeah. <clears throat> keep, keep going, Carl. I know we're running up on time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, and that was, the, that, that's the longest of the bunch. So uh, um, what do we have? Resources reserve. Secondly, team-based leadership. Um, yeah. Churches that where the pastor was doing everything, the pastor then went on tilt because they didn't have a team to put this on the shoulders of. And so churches where the pastors were doing everything were the most susceptible to collapse and will continue to be the most susceptible mm-hmm. to collapse as we move forward. As I said in the last episode, discipleship fixes everything. Yeah. And discipleship fixes this. Uh, team yeah. ba- discipleship creates team-based leadership to bear the burden. So that's yeah. that's a huge thing. It doesn't matter what size the church is. Um, you got. You yeah. should always be discipling somebody. It's it's a command. It's it's the command from Jesus for us to build the church. So yeah. Uh, that uh, so team based leadership. Thirdly, adaptability. Um, the the churches. The, the the more things you add to your list of we have to do this in order for it to be considered church, 
the more vulnerable you make yourself. Like if it has mm-hmm. to be in a building, if it has to be on a particular day of a week, if it has yeah. to be at a particular time, if you have to be singing certain songs, you have to be wearing certain clothes, all right. of those things can be taken away from you. Your building can be taken away. We saw that. Yeah. You know, all those things can be taken away from you. And all of a sudden we run around going, all the churches closed. No, they didn't. Not a single church closed because the church doesn't require a building or a particular day of the week or any of those things. Yeah. Our church never stopped being the church. We weren't in our building for six months. And we never stopped being the church because wow. we had already learned how to be an adaptable church. We had already held those things loosely. Right. We had already discovered years ago that our building, we have a really tiny building in a very populated area. And I realized a good dozen, 15 years in when we weren't going to get a new building because it's too expensive here, I started realizing we've got to do ministry from our church, not just in it. Mm, and beautiful. that shift yeah. that helped us now, now we adapt constantly because we see the building as a launching point for the ministry we do rather than as a place that has to hold everything. If you're right. adaptable now, you'll be more adaptable when things change. And then the final one was unity. Um, the, the big tragedy of the last three years for me has yeah. been that while the society was falling apart, instead of giving them an alternative of unity, we yeah. just reflected their disunity in the church and maybe in some ways even turned it up a notch. Um, and that that is what makes this last season different than any previous season of crisis in my memory. Yeah. Every previous season of crisis from 9-11 back to the racial unrest of the 70s, back to before my time in World War II, to, to a much larger degree, the church came together, united yeah. during the difficult season. And in this one, we did not provide that alternative for the for the culture at large. And yeah. uh, that is going to be the thing we will regret more than anything else over the last yeah. three years. A missed opportunity. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Well, you know, Carl, there's so many more questions we would like to ask you. Um, yeah. But we really are bumping up against our our time. Um, you know, I will just say this: that we're honored to have you on on this podcast, and we mean that. Uh, every yeah, time we you. talk, every time we talk with you, I, I feel like there's a deposit in my own life yeah. that I needed to hear. That I needed uh, either it's new, a uh, new thought, or it's a reaffirming of something I've been I've been uh, wrestling with in my own thinking and. We know how in demand you are, and we just uh, we're so grateful that you carve out time to be with us. Um, Carl, if somebody wants to reach out to your ministry, what's the best way for them to do that? CarlVaders.com, and I'm Carl Vaders on all the major social media platforms, so it's pretty easy to find me. If you want to email me, just go to CarlVaders.com, hit the contact me button, and send me a message. And uh, if you if you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll get a, a drop into your email every Friday. Right on. And Carl with a K, and Vaders yeah. with a T, and an S. Yeah, yeah. and that <laughs> newsletter, I, I'm, I received that newsletter. It's It's just phenomenal. So, boy, at a minimum, if you're listening or watching, you can subscribe to the newsletter. It is really good. It is really good. Thank helpful. you, John. So, so, Jim, why don't you wrap us yeah. up? Yeah, I do have one last question. What's your cat's name? <laughs> well, the cat is no longer with us, but his name was Darth. So, yes, Darth we Vader's. had Darth Vader's in the family. Yeah. Just so every, yeah. Everybody knows there's another side of you besides the, the ecclesiastical giant. 
You're also very And I'm going to tell you why we named the cat Darth. Here's why. <laughs> because we got the cat before we had any grandkids. And we thought, you know what? At some point, if one of the boys gets married and decides they want to name one of their kids Darth, that's just not something we can live with. But I figure they won't name the kid after the cat. Right, yeah. right. So we and burned the legal. name on the cat. <laughs> it's not legal to own a pig in Southern California. So you had to do it out of cat the best you got, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, hey, we're up against time. Hey, it's Tuesday. Listen, you guys haven't quit, man. That that means there's something inside of you that God wants to get out of you. Keep going. We're cheering for you, rooting for you. ConvergeCoach.com uh, if you want to get a hold of us. If not, God bless you. Keep running for Jesus. And uh, we'll see you again real soon as you continue to lead from alignment. <laughs>